Okay, it's uh, your death sentence for this week. It's the um, favourite literary anarcho-black metal podcast of the very brief period before humanity dies. And we've got a couple, a returning guest and a new friend for us all this week. Uh, Deirdre Coyle, uh, who you'll remember yeah. from. There she is. You remember from Pisces and... Um, Oh God, I've forgotten the name of that damn book. I Me really wife. Like Me a wife. Yeah. That's one of my favorite books I've read all year. I've forgotten its plain name. Um, <laughs> yeah, and the Mere Wife. And uh, she's brought along uh, Michael Seed- oh, uh, uh, Seedling. Give it a shot. Give it a shot. Uh, Michael Seed- you can get right. Seedling? Uh, Seedling? You got it right. Seedling. Yeah, yeah. Seedlinger. Seedling. Yeah. Nice sure. to be. I'm glad to be here. Not nice to be here. I hate when it always sounds so weird. Like nice to be here, as if like, <laughs> yeah, it's nice that I'm here. No, no, no. I'm glad to be here. Um, Good. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, no problem. Um, as I said before the show started, I I had, had penciled in reading uh, Michael's book, My Pet Serial Killer, that was came out in July. Came out in um came out September eighteenth. September. Um, it got pushed back a bunch because um the company that bought and br- uh, brought Vangoria back from the dead um they're called Sinistate. Um they it, it, there's a lot of obviously legal stuff like trying to get everything in order for Fangoria's rebirth. So the book kind of went through a hiatus of like being pushed back month after month. But yeah, official pub date is was September eighteenth, and it's very much part of. Fangoria's brand now. It's cool. It's been fun. Yeah. They've been great. And as you astute listeners may have gathered by now, it was put out by Fangoria, as in the magazine your mum says you can't uh, have because it's too scary. <laughs> My mum's still doing that. It's really weird. And, um, so, yeah, it's, uh, and I think we're, we're going to kind of get in a little bit to my pet serial killer later because I think there's a few threads in there. Not on Reddit, of course, but uh, I only read a synopsis in a few reviews. I think there might be a few of the things we can connect to the Shrill Monsters. Maybe. Who knows? Maybe. We'll see. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but, um, yeah, Destroy All Monsters by Jeff Jackson. Uh, I haven't read any of his stuff before. He's got a couple of... Uh, a novel and a novella out previously. He's done a bunch of plays, and um, Don DeLillo likes him. It's good enough for me. Yeah. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> this has just come out on Farrah Star and, and Giroux. Giroux's. Yeah, Giroux. Uh, I think everyone just says FSG. It, it, yeah, it's like, I was, was going to say FSG, but it sounded too insidery, you know. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, and it that, reminds me of people who call uh, David Foster Wallace DFW. Yeah, I know. The acronyms, yeah. right? The acronyms. They sound a little too Yeah, they, clicky, but... exactly. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to be a, a acronym guy. But mm-hmm. um yeah, it's it's gonna come out in a couple of days from recording. So October sixteenth, it says on Jeff's website. And I've I've I, okay, my synopsis of my feelings towards this book is I liked it, but I'm gonna need to read it again to understand why I liked it, I think. Mm. And to get it, because I, I think I I read it in this like really fragmentary way over the course of weeks, and I think I need to sit down for an afternoon and just go cover to cover twice. Yeah, there was a lot. There's a lot going on. I also read it. I read it kind of quickly, and I also feel like I need to go back. And you read it twice, didn't you, Michael? 
I read side A twice and side B once. Um, and yeah, Jeff is Jeff's implementing a lot of experimental threads. Um, stuff that gets very deep and dark in, in, in this kind of like cerebral way that does require a little bit more than your average just reading right through. You know, like the narrative intentionally wraps itself around its own self. Like it kind of is like this vicious circle in ways. And at times, yeah, you get lost in that circle. Um, hmm. And then but there's another circle. It's his intention. It's totally his intention. That's the idea that I, I definitely think once you get to the end of side B, at least, there may be a lot of, things left unanswered one thing that is answered is the fact that he's definitely trying to wrap this thing around and into like one unified kind of like parallel universe kind of thing which is cool mm, yeah so i think the synopsis is pretty straightforward it's someone well there have basically been a bunch of shootings at rock concerts like there's musicians on stage and someone in the crowd shoots them or blows them up or stabs them yeah. And that's kind of just a synopsis. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's incredibly simple, but what he does with it and where he goes with that really simple idea that would seem on its surface to be a really easy one to think up. It's like right. such a like simple little fun idea. Not fun, but you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And yeah. yeah, where he takes this kind of stuff is um, he goes all over with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So why don't one of you talk a little bit about the way in which it's way more than the sum of its parts? Because that's kind of what I liked the most about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there's um, well, there's a lot of different threads going through it right like it's it's told from the perspectives of different characters and it's also structured in uh side a and side b like we were talking about before which and i don't think this is giving away too much there they essentially take place in sort of parallel universes um and uh, I'm just flipping through it. Like, there's so much going on. It's, it is. I think it's hard to kind of summarize. Right. He's using a lot of. So there's there is a narrative. It's very coherent. Like when I say experimental, I think it's the, the term experimental with fiction specifically. Whenever you say it, people kind of like ugh, they kind of like sigh or they kind of look yeah. at it a certain way. No, it's like it's not experimental in the sense of it being impossible to read. It's a very readable, very digestible, very gripping. And like it can be a fast read, but yeah, there's so much going on in the sense that he has these um, he has these like kind of grayed out pages that almost feel like they're stuck in time, or they're like flash forwards, flashbacks, who knows? And then he has these they're very short paragraphs, right? They're constant line breaks, paragraph breaks. Um, and then he has these kind of what would you call those? Well, the, the inner monologues of the characters yeah. are set apart from the central narrative, yeah. and it's like visually kind of jarring, but 
or arresting maybe is the word I, I mean. I think that's the, I think you're right. Yeah. Arresting is probably the right word. And then they, then the, then the whole birds thing. I mean, oh, Jeff, I say the birds, real, yeah. real talk, Jeff, Jeff and I are friends. Like, uh, I've gotten to know him over the years. I remember when his first book came out, Miracorpora, I was a huge fan. No, Novi Sad, the novella that you mentioned. Yeah. Also incredible. He does this stuff so well. He's a master of bending and buckling the narrative. But even so, like he also it makes me feel like like a, like I'm a stupid reader at times because he does these high heady things like with the bird stuff. I, I still don't know what the bird stuff is, and that's not a criticism on his part. It's more so like the narrative is doing so much that it takes. It's a Lynchian thing in ways where you're like, mm-hmm. okay, wait, how does that fit in? I have to maybe take a couple extra reads or just think about this for months before I kind of get it. And Miracorpora had that too. But he's doing something different with Destroy All Monsters. He, he's, at the same time, he's bringing out what was very much embedded in the prose and, like, say, a Miracorpora. So you see it. He's, like, actually instrumentally cutting it up into its own little parts, like the birds, day day X, you know, whatever number it is. And then those grayed-out sections, then side A, side B, it's structurally all cut up. Whereas with Miracorpora, it was, like, these bursts all together but at the same rate he's doing more with it and there is no easy explanation that was totally his intention um but i was thinking about you know what you gareth said earlier like that it's this uh the premise seems like i know again fun isn't the right word but when i heard about this book i was like oh it's a book about people like killing people in rock bands and i'm like this is something i'm gonna read obviously (laughs) same Um, same and yeah, and then I, I read it, and it, and it is that. Um, but it's so much more than that in a, in a ways that I was not expecting. I have, like, this big question that uh, I mean, you might have it already on your on your list, Gareth, but, like, there's the, the question that also Deirdre and I both kind of a little bit talked about when we finished the book, just like, hmm, that. But I, well, I want to wait until the end. I want to see if you get to it. I don't want to, like, jump ahead, basically. But it is a kind of prevailing narrative, like, answer, like, you know, it's the, the one that we're talking about, like, mm-hmm. about the... Okay, anyway. <laughs> to, to, it's FYI. Let's see. You just, can edit out the whispers. The whispers, yeah, but FYI also, like, let's put a pin in that, and if the if the question is not asked or not posed by the end of the podcast, I will throw it out there. But okay, yeah, right, okay, no no pressure then. Great, I just got to be like <laughs> incredibly insightful. Michael's but... quizzing you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, I just I just remember it now because I was like I was like thinking about it when Deirdre's like, yeah, it's such a like easy. It's a, it's like a no brainer preface. Like the three of us, I'm sure, the moment we heard. But even the title, Destroy All Monsters, it's a badass title. And yeah. then you think, oh, yeah. and you even look at the cover and all, everything about it. The fact that we all love metal, punk, and, and goth stuff, it's all, it just bleeds right into that. But then it's so much more than that, too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, one obvious question, which I don't believe is ever answered by it, is why are people shooting bands? And right. It gets... Uh, one of the characters, uh, Zini, I believe that's how you pronounce that, she so. yeah, offers so. the best answer you're going to get in the, um, yeah. in it, mm-hmm. which is that uh, the killer. I'm quoting directly here. The killers wanted music to match again. They wanted to purify it. It's like they were thinning the herd, putting wounded animals out of their misery, and uh, it's kind of the, the bits with the birds. Kind of, I was looking for a, a, an idea about that as well. And I was kind of, I came back to that passage in, as a way of explaining the birds bit. Because mm-hmm. birds are, you know, they, they sing all the time. That's their, their thing, yeah. is birds sing. And it's spontaneous and alive, and it's, it's 
very unlike the music scene in Arcadia, where the book set, which is mm -hmm. uh, completely stultified, is just a rehash of itself. The only good band that came out of that town disappeared years ago and became famous somewhere else. Yeah. Whereas the birds are, you know, they're happily chirping along as they always do. And it's always to them good because there's nothing to complicate music for them. Um, I'm sounding like that being Life of Brian, where it's like, well, the birds don't have jobs, do they? But, um, <laughs> yeah. And actually, I think on the topic of jobs, like there's constant reference to Arcadia kind of being this like fallen apart post-industrial town where all the factories have closed and it's like this big Bruce Springsteen riff going on in there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I don't want to be like too like lefty podcaster about it, but see, it seems that capitalism kind of ruined music in Arcadia more than anyone else. It seems like, yeah. and am I, um, am I reading too much into that? Is, is, uh, Jeff Jackson woke enough to indict capitalism? <laughs> oh, I believe Jeff is woke, yes. Um, and there, yeah, it wouldn't be, actually it wouldn't be a metal slash punk kind of novel without having that, that thread too, right? That political mm. thread because yeah. the music itself is a lifestyle and it is a lifestyle against what, that, that prevailing structure and that involves political structure as well. So, you know, in terms of capitalism and all that, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's too far, <laughs> too far. You're like reading too much into it. I think it's. A well, good I like point. that idea about the birds. I think that yeah, that makes sense to me um, as a way of of thinking about that thread in the book. The tripping. You know, or... the birds are always singing, and yeah. you know they don't care if anyone's listening. Hmm. Yeah, it's not like a music scene for them. It's just what they do. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah yeah it's just who they are they're artists in their way yeah and um <coughs> excuse me isn't um, like in every single band isn't even like the the bands that are destroyed killed they're local bands bands that are on the cusp they're well they're all kind of what zini was saying in that passage right is that they're all kind of mediocre yeah yeah, yeah. Just... and that's kind of actually what the question was that i mean like the thing that deirdre and i were talking about like how like the uh like you kind of said it with the quote you know the reason why it's happening but also like the idea of mediocrity and i think you, you said it best about like how it is just it's, it's the idea of thinning out the the bad and making it pure well, that's again what she, what she says yeah, yeah in the passage yeah um, what do you think of that i mean it's it's really, it's really a bummer, <laughs> especially if I think about that applied, you know, yeah. across art forms. Like, yeah, I let's just thin out the writers. You know? <laughs> just, I should just, you know, just maybe it's time to stop. But uh, <laughs> no, but I mean, but I, but I like it in the context of that scene because she's talking about, you know, her own like true love who was killed, and she's like. Yeah, but he wasn't that good, <laughs> mm. you know, as a musician. Yeah, that was that was um, a really nice little bit there. I like, yeah, <laughs> yeah it was really well done. Yeah, uh, it was really a downer. <laughs> oh yeah, and um, that whole idea, like the scene used to be cool, but it's, everyone's changed. It's not cool anymore, and and music used to mean something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I noticed he he titled side A and side B. Uh, My dark age is after a, a Pierre Rubu song, and. Mm -hmm. Kill City I, after a 
Iggy Pop and James Williamson. Like, I'm a huge Stooges fan. I didn't even know this album existed until I, until I Googled it. Oh, wow. It was just, like, yeah. kind of thrown mm-hmm. together in 1975 while Iggy Pop was detoxing. Oh, and, uh, but, uh, Yeah, it turns out he's big into drugs. Never knew that. Um, but, um, but not anymore now. He just, like, posts pictures of his parrot on Instagram. Do you but, follow his parrot on Instagram? Do I, I don't. I, I don't actually fuck with Instagram, but um, I, oh, man. I, I've never seen Iggy Pop's parrot. I've I've touched Iggy Pop, but I've never. Um, uh, you've touched. Iggy I'm Pop, so jealous. Yeah. I've been it's, in a room with him. I've never touched him. I've never been in a room or touched him. He, he's wait, wait. Tell me this story, please. That's not a story. <laughs> uh, it's not a story. It was just I was at a like Stooges concert in like 2007, uh-huh. but they'd like briefly reformed to play a few yeah. songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't play Search and Destroy, which really bummed me out. But um, yeah. yeah, he was he was like doing his doing his thing. Yeah, he had his jeans, he had no shirt. He was just leaning into the crowd, and it was yeah. like, yeah, I, I was up front. Like I say, big big fan of the music. And you, got, you got a nice sweaty like touch, right? Yeah, like, yeah I got some Iggy sweat on my <laughs> palm. Hell yeah! yeah got a, he wasn't uh, too sweaty. It was like a couple of songs in. He he, uh, okay. he wasn't sweaty yet. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't well, really seem very sweaty. Maybe he Botoxes to like get the sweat away, but uh, that could be. Could be kind of levery too. So uh, more than any musician, he really needs to maintain that upper body because you know <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's always shirtless. Yeah, kind of put really put himself into a uh, real bind with his shirtlessness. And mm-hmm. his yeah. last album was absolutely terrible too. Oh, but, the um, one I enjoyed it, but I'm also so like I feel like I'm just so like devoted at this point i'll just listen to anything he puts out and be like mm. this is fine <laughs> <laughs> this is like... fine <laughs> yeah just came up as like a, a bad queens of stone age record with uh really yeah, David Josh on it. oh really yeah okay yeah see i didn't i didn't listen to the latest so post pop depression is that the name of it mm-hmm. post pop depression yes interesting I, uh, well, but anyway, I recommend to you, Gareth, and to, you know, the whole internet to maybe, maybe, maybe go on Instagram occasionally just to check out his parrot. Uh, the account, I think, is Biggie Pop, which I <laughs> think, Pop. I think that's, that's the name terrible. of the parrot. Oh, the parrot's name. Okay. All right. Yeah. I, think I, I thought that was like his own Instagram name No, I think it's himself. like about that's, the parrot. Be okay. <laughs> Does he have his own Instagram or is it just the parrot? I think it's just the parrot. Interesting. That's good. It's great. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we should yeah. all be like, once you get to a certain level of quote unquote fame or something with the internet, you, you, there should be like a mandatory brand shift where you now have to, to only post, tweet, whatever via your pet, pets, like your, your pet's voice and also pictures only. Like, I mean, I'd be into it. I'd be into it too. Imagine how many celebrities would be like, yeah, here's, I don't know, Kanye West's dog from whatever. I don't know. He's. He doesn't he's have pets because he's insane. Yeah, I, know, I was about to say. I was about to say he doesn't have any pets. <laughs> yeah, that, that would involve a level of like empathy and uh, other focusness that I'm sure he's not. Gonna... Oh, don't, I don't know why his name popped up in my head right now, but whatever. <laughs> but anyway, he's Kill City. Oh well, yeah, Kill City. I forgot about that. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, we're talking about a book. That's right. Yeah, that, that happens. It's uh, as you may notice on this show, tangents are kind of uh, a thing. Let's yeah, um, but let's uh, let's do a song first. Um, cool. by, by let's, I mean, let's not all like break into song. That'd be really weird. <laughs> but um, I'm going to just like post insert a song into here. 
and that song is going to be by the band Cloud Rat out of Michigan. Um, they've been around a long while, and since I think like 20, 2010. And they've been amazing the whole time. I love these guys. They're a trio of anarcho-feminist grind punks. They're amazing. Uh, their last few years have been spent doing all these split EPs with pretty much anyone in the scene, which is kind of why I picked them, because, you know, they're like a music scene band, it's a book about music scenes. And uh, this what they've collected all their contributions to their splits in a couple of albums called Clipped Beaks and Silk Panic. They both just came out. And this is the first song of Silk Panic. It's from their split with The World is a Vampire. It's a song called Wish Made. Uh, it doesn't sound like anything else they've done, so if you get really into this, then know that the rest is like one or two minute song, long grindcore songs. But it's a really beautiful song, and uh, you should check it out. And here it is. Thank you. 
So it's Cloud Rat with Wishmade of Silk Panic. And we're still here with Deirdre Coyle and Michael Seedlinger. Seedlinger? Oh, ah, we got it wrong that time. Yeah. <laughs> I knew it's all right. Yeah. Names don't really need more than three syllables. It's. Hey, I, I didn't like, choose my last name. Actually, when I was a kid, I tried to come up with like alternate names because I was really ashamed of my last really? name. Really? Yeah, I told you about that already. What? Crawford, what? Damian Crawford. Oh, I like that name. Yeah, that's that was, a metal name. That was my name that I wanted, not Michael Seidlinger. Yeah, if, if people got to pick names, there'd be a lot of Damians. Yeah. Probably, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. wanted to be named Guinevere when I was little, mm. so... For obvious reasons. I like Deirdre. That's a good name. Deirdre is good. I mean, it means sorrow, so that's, like, pretty appropriate <laughs> for me. And, like, yeah, like, Deirdre Coyle, the name is, it looks good. It, it reads well. It's a very good author name. Thank you. And also, if you're a front person of a band, yeah. it could work, too, I think. Michael Seilinger, not so much. But you were the front person I know, but I, I, I undersold my name. I told you, Damien Crawford. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got a friend. Guilty. She's a well, no. I, I, I got Sorry. a friend. She's a very good poet. I've known since university, and her name's Amy Diaf. It looks Ooh. like deaf, but it's got a little uh, apostrophe in there. That's and a good name. Cool. That was an awesome name. Yeah, I I didn't quite believe that she was named that when I first met her. Then I saw her name on like a form or something. So uh, yeah, and she's a good poet. So check her out. But um. If you really like communism, but um, of course. <laughs> yeah, and who doesn't? Um, who but yeah, uh, destroy all monsters. So, yep. um, so Michael, because you're a guy who has written a book twice now about a, a serial killer, actually, why don't you give us a little? Uh, the elevator pitch for My Pet Serial Killer. Cause... Yeah, so My Pet Serial Killer is about someone who's sexually attracted to serial killers. She likes to seduce them, dominate them, and turn them into her pets. So she, by pet meaning, she influences everything from how they kill, like their MO, and like just the nature of what a serial killer is. They always leave something behind, kill a certain way, whatever. She defines that, but she also literally treats them like pets, puts them in, like locks them in rooms, treats them like dirt, treats, treats them like objects. It's very much a power dynamic between her and her pet. Yeah, and that sounds cool. And it's it's an, it's it's a <laughs> it's a fun fun book. It's very it fun. It does sound fun. <laughs> so, one of the things that kind of hit me when I was reading Destroy All Monsters and knowing that you'd be on this show was that mass shootings of the kind in Destroy All Monsters, mm-hmm. those are the thing now, right? Those are like what America does. Yeah, mass shootings are far more prevalent than serial killing. But not yeah. to say serial killers don't exist. They're very much still around. But yeah. yeah. The, like, I, I can't remember the last time a, a serial killer, apart from the, I think it was Golden State Killer, kind of made the news a little while back. Yeah. They, they um, caught him or something? Or, or... Yeah. Well, it, was a, it was a weird story, actually. It was, um, so, you know the comedian Pat- Patton Oswalt? Yep. Mm-hmm. So he had a wife. Uh, had as in she she died a couple of years ago um but she was a true crime writer and she yeah. uh was basically investigating golden state killer because he had been incredibly pro- prolific never been caught and she like fingered this one guy who was a cop 
because you know cops and um yeah it uh he's now under arrest and awaiting trial and she actually yeah she died of a um a virus or something shortly before he was arrested you know mm-hmm. her her evidence that she found um got the police to look at the case another way and they eventually ended up arresting this guy who had been i think a dozen murders maybe a hundred rapes he was a horrible oh, wow. person and he he would um he would call up his victims decades sometimes after he would have done something to them and he would like put on this voice on the phone like this like raspy demon voice and he would call them and be like do you remember what i did and just, yeah just a, uh, um, i need to read that book there was a book that came out that kind yeah. of um oh, that uh, the one. i will uh, yeah. stir, i'm slow okay <laughs> Uh, I'll be gone in the dark or something. Yeah. But um, yeah, anyway, that was the last time I remember serial killing making the news. And it's all it's all, it's all spree, yeah. It's yeah. all spree killing now, mass shooting. So as someone who I'm going to guess has done his research in serial killing, why do you reckon it's flipped in like since about like since the right. 21st century, it's flipped from serial killing to mass shooting? So, not to say it's always personal when someone someone dies, right? Like it always is personal for someone, um, the victim, the people that survived the victim. But the difference between spree killing or mass shootings um, and serial killing, and the reason why I think serial killing isn't really as in the news, um, and undoubtedly there are plenty out there that are active um, and doing their thing. Um, so there's very much like the power dynamic. It's in both cases, the power, there's some kind of power dynamic, um, with spree killing. It is the way, okay, actually I'm going to use a sexual thing for this. Like, cause there's very sexual times too, with both like with, with, with spree killing, it's just about, it's masturbation. It's about getting your, getting your jollies off immediately. It's about killing and seeing it, seeing your efforts happen. Boom. Right then and there. Whereas with serial killers, Part of it is the hunt, the seduction, the weight, the prey, you know, like really timing it and and truly arranging the scenario so that you get that biggest, the biggest orgasm, the biggest release, the biggest climax. Um, the reason why mass shootings are far more prevalent, it's, it is technically easier to kill a bunch of people by acquiring a gun and just plotting out some kind of scenario where you shoot a bunch of people and then kill yourself. Whereas a serial killer, there's so many aspects of trying to hide the body, trying to find the right person to kill, trying to do it in a way where it doesn't just come back and haunt you. And like in, in a legal sense, and someone like, you know, the cops get caught, uh, catch, catching you or something like that, because you have to, in order to be a serial killer, hence serial in killing, you have to, kill multiple times and can almost there's the part of the power dynamic is leaving your mo leaving some kind of mark and mm. there's very few a few few serial killers that are active that are remembered that are successful at what they do what they do that you know don't have some kind of memorable um mo they always do something whether they cut off like an arm in the same place every single time or like the zodiac where they leave those different um puzzles or send puzzles to the media to you know the night stalker and how he i kind of kind of honestly forget what the night stalker did 
I don't remember. <laughs> Richard Ramirez, yeah, but he had the thing, the, the, the tattoo on his forehead or his palm or something like that. But I don't remember him as much. But there's always – there's the, the power dynamic is far more methodical with serial killing. So as a result, it requires a certain type of person, whereas a lot of vengeance, a lot of hatred, a lot of just – unrest can bubble up into someone and they can buy a gun and they shoot a bunch of people. It is far more masturbatory to be a spree killer. Hang on. Can I just interject? Are you saying that millennials killed the serial killer? <laughs> it's very possible. <laughs> Episode title. So I love it. Dare to just synthesize it down. This is why. This is why uh, serial killers are on the way out because mo- millennials. millennials. Just like napkins. Yeah. American cheese. And bar soap. Yeah, we killed it all. Diamonds. It's it's kind of true though. Like that uh, that's that's something that's it's been like that for a while. Too. Like serial killing has just the dynamic between those two, spree and serial. Um, there's plenty of criminology, you know, documentation and studies about this, and it's the same way every single point in time. It's it's about the way you gain that power. Cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, as in like a big rush of power all at once or yeah. little bits yeah, so like the, of power you know, time. You're delivering a message both ways, but there's still more of an outward message when someone goes and kills a bunch of people in one big, you know, fell swoop and that's it. Whereas a killer kind of has that, has their reasons. They have, they, there's this drive to be more methodical and to do it over and over and over again. Some do it because they can't help themselves, but there's still something a little bit slightly different between the two. Well, it's something about intimacy too, right? Yeah. Yep. You know, if you have one victim and and it's this, like, very methodical, like, horrifying, uh, like, system that you have with this one person as opposed to, you know, and you're, you're focused on them. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's true even in, in my pet serial killer, like, the killers with their different methods, you know, for, like, these brief periods of time, they're, like, totally focused on one victim at a time. Yeah. And mass shootings are insta kill. Yeah. Not to like deval, you know, not to uh, people are dying and all this. You know, it's not. It's like gruesome stuff. Well, it's but, very personal for everyone else involved, but for the killer, it's not. It's not. You don't. They don't pick out their victim. Well, not normally anyway. But yeah, they're they're killing faces that they only maybe see for a, a little flash at a time. They're not. Mm. Yeah. Cool. So, um, <clears throat> but in. Destroyer Monsters, that whole sexual dynamic, the whole release seems to be gone. Like the killers are all zombies. The one time we get to hear someone actually explain themselves, it sounds like the guy's nuts. I mean, that's where he says, like, I don't know, the the page open where he says the music sounded different didn't sign that wasn't violent enough or does no no it was like it didn't sound the way it did in his head right Uh, yeah he's just uh, like a a toxic fan who thinks that star wars destroyed his youth or something right right (laughs) that that kind of guy yeah so yeah i mean yeah i mean the fan culture aspect of this is kind of a little bit there in that guy at least Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not uh, it's not hugely prevalent throughout the whole thing, but um, yeah, most of the the killers are associates of music scene, or they're around music. They're fans, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as Zini says later, she, it, she wants. It's possible that they want music to 
feel the way they think it used to. The mm-hmm. way when yeah, Pierre Rubio and Iggy Pop were playing music. And it's pretty obvious why he uses two like legit, legit rock legends and, mm-hmm. and very like yeah. for his for his things. It's a yeah, it's, it's a it's a little uh, what what he used to call rockist back in the day <laughs> in music press. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I couldn't imagine him putting like a going back to Kanye West, putting like a Kanye West song. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, uh, of yeah. yeah. I don't think yeah. even, I don't think hip hop even gets mentioned. No, no. Well, I think I like that it's you know it's funny how it's uh, the last the subtitle novel, is yeah. yeah that it's the last rock novel. That's very mm-hmm. very I, important I think to to like it, in terms of the well marketing angle of course, but <laughs> that yeah. factors in for sure. Yeah, yeah, rock is a dying industry. I mean, Warp Tour's dead. Yeah. <laughs> um, um. It is true. It, it's still very much a lifestyle, but there, we, we've seen it kind of die out and shift and change form, and metal is no longer what it is in its truest sense, and neither is punk, neither is hardcore. There's still a lot of amazing bands that are doing new things, but, yeah, um, pop culture is definitely looking at things differently, and I don't know if punk and metal and... You know, that heavy abrasive stuff really knows where it fits in right now. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because it wasn't supposed to ever really... I mean, when it got commercial, yeah, with like new metal and all that bullshit in the 90s, it, it opened the door and then all of a sudden this heavy abrasive stuff was very much can be can, can chart on Billboard and stuff like that. But mm. it wasn't... I don't think pioneers of the genre or people or true advocates of the genre were ever thinking like that. Like you watch any documentary about like punk, punk rock or something like that. They mm-hmm. are talking more like there's almost like this mantra of, of the, of, of lifestyle choice and stuff like that to a lot of what they're doing. And once it got really commercial, then it became like everything else and got saturated. So I think Jeff is also tapping into that a little bit too. The idea of getting signed, getting money, and over any kind of musical essence or anything like that. Too. Yeah, he kind of um, makes it feel a little like the bands that are in the, the intro, the Carmelite uh, Rifles, the mm-hmm. band yeah. who makes it out of arcade and gets big. Their inclusion makes it feel a little like they started this whole thing. Like mm-hmm. they started the epidemic, which begins in arcade and goes like nationwide. The, the image... It was. I mean, I love his 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 scenes. The scenes that are specific to like actual actual live show. I remember when I read that and just picturing them walk on stage and like in the like that very uniform. Like their image was so down. Like they knew exactly <laughs> what they're doing. There wasn't yeah. there wasn't a false step in any of it, and it was very well planned out. That was very well rendered to me, and it, mm. it, it's interesting how it did start with that. A band that prides itself more on the image and the package than even anything else, and they're on the verge of. Leaving Arcadia. What was like the no, tagline? This was like they'd already they left Arcadia their, and they came back. Yeah, it was their like homecoming uh, show. Yeah, right. And I think that's. I mean, being from a a small city, I'm from Richmond, Virginia. You know, where not a lot of bands make it out, but the ones that do, it's like every. I mean, I still. Anytime, well, okay, Guar doesn't come up in casual conversation very much for me. I probably <laughs> insert them in conversation more than necessary, and I'm just like, they're from my hometown. Like, <laughs> I will say that uh, until the day I die, even though, even if nobody cares, which is usually the case. 
I care. I, care. <laughs> I fucking care. Guar, yeah. I care less Gwar, about the Gwar. other band that people think of in, for coming from. Lamb of God. Yeah. I didn't really listen to Lamb of God. I was, I'm not a fan. Yeah, Lamb of, Lamb of God's kind of suck. I think yeah. uh, Pig Destroyer were... Actually, it's, they're from Alexandria, Virginia, but they kind of played early shows in Richmond. Mm. Oh, I didn't know They that. kind of get uh, put in as a Richmond, Virginia band. Yeah. And they're, and they're amazing, so... Yeah. Yeah. You've, you've I've listened to Pig I'm not as I haven't like really delved into their catalog as much, but yeah. I mean, you how do you forget a name like Pig Destroyer? It's a good name. You don't. Yeah. That's yeah, they they were the they were actually the first like really, really heavy band I ever listened to. Ever. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite first really, really heavy band? Oh, this is a good question. Yeah, that's your first really, really heavy ball band. I wonder what Deirdre's was. I need to think about what was mine. Um Shit. I don't know. Does like Deer on Gray count? Yeah, I liked them in high school. <laughs> oh counts. no, no, no! You know, no. The first one was Kitty. Does that count? That oh, means I remember Kitty. Yeah. I bought one of their records, and I was like so obsessed with it. Mine's similar and, and really shameful. It was like it was like the new metal stuff. Like, but I think specifically it was like that first album of Slipknot. <laughs> uh-huh, nice. Yeah. I never got them. But Slipknot that. Hoodie. But that totally, <laughs> that totally um, opened the door to everything else. And then I started like re- listening to like Dillinger Escape Plan, Converge, mm-hmm. and then even going back to to eighties, seventies, eighties, you know, pop mm-hmm. rock like Bad Brains and stuff. But yeah, I wonder what happened to my Kitty T shirt that I had when I was thirteen. Uh, they had some. <laughs> I would wear that now. I, I now I have that song uh, brackish in my head right now. Just Same. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's not even a good song. I I, I listened. I wrote a like a, a history of new metal for a website a few. You did now. Oh, I want to. Yeah. I want to read this. Oh, cool. It, it, it was supposed to be three parts, but I never did the third part. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I forget why. But um, how new metal of you? Oh yeah, it's because it like new metal, like it, it had that meteoric rise, nothing. right? It was like huge and then just fell apart. So yeah, like that. I'll, I'll say that was all planned now. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I had to re-listen to Brackish by Kitty, and I was just I, I remember it coming out and being like, holy shit, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I re-listened to it. I was so I couldn't weird. make like forty seconds in. It was terrible. And um, <laughs> but, uh, the first band I ever saw live was Corn. Nice. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, technically, yeah. it was Pod because they were opening for Corn. So ah, first yeah. band okay. is is Christian Metalers Pod. <laughs> yeah. Before right. they even had any good first songs. Show. First show. So, so wait, first show of this type, you said it was P.O.D. slash Corn. Um, I'm trying to think of what mine was. Mine was... Hmm, oh, well, it was this show put on by my favorite radio station in Richmond, uh, Y101, which was like the quote-unquote hard rock station. And the headliner was Jimmy World. Uh, also legit. American Hi-Fi. Um... Finch? I remember Finch. What is the burn? (laughs) I don't remember who else was there. So, like, the big festival thing. It was, like, a day at the racetrack, you know? Yeah, so... That I almost wasn't allowed to go to. Mine's similar. I went to Ozfest 99. Nice. Which is when I saw Slipknot, which they literally, within the time... Well, there was a bunch of other new metal bands that were playing, too. I think Tool was playing, I think. Or was that the next year? I don't remember, but... Um, I remember seeing them on the little tiny stage, and then by the end of that actual summer, they were playing main stage. And by the end of that year, they were like 
every, everyone hates them now because they're too big or something like that. <laughs> that stupid band with the ten people and like all wearing masks. Yeah, yeah. But hey, that's image again. That's like the Karma Light Rifles. They walk on stage, right? And they have like their thing all down. Slipknot is similar. They came from Iowa. And they knew that the way to get out was to be very different and to really plan out and plot out what their image is. You know who else did that? Guar. They're Guar. from my hometown. Yeah. That. Yeah. <laughs> See, that was a perfect. Now that actually works. So that, 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 you didn't have to insert. <laughs> I like that one. Gore did it. Gore created their own mythos and everything, or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> I don't actually know all like the whole like background story of the band. It's that. impossible. I, I I think someone has written like a Guar Wikipedia for it and. Wow. Mm-hmm. It, those, yeah, those guys fuck with a lot of drugs and then they write yeah. drugs. So um yeah, I, I don't think there's like a coherent thread to be understood about it. It's something to do with a world maggot and Antarctica and dinosaurs and Yeah. It, mm. it, it, it just sounds like what I would write if I was twelve and on okay. drugs. Yeah. But mm. um yeah, it's uh yeah, there's there's no understanding Gua. I uh, I almost interviewed them once, but then I had to back out I, I really bummed out about that. Damn. But it was after uh, Odorous Arungus, the original yeah. lead singer, died. Oh, so it would have been, yeah, it would have been just a bummer of an interview. Just it was like a month after too, so it wouldn't that exactly. Would have been sad. Yeah, yeah, he's like he died young, right? Like forty. Yeah, some, somewhere yeah, about that. He was like uh, not that long ago, a couple of years ago. I forget. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, probably about three or four. Yeah, and, um, they've since had a, like another person die. Also of a drug overdose. Oh, yeah. I uh, didn't expect Guar to be so, like, a meat grinder of a band, but uh, they, they live hard. Yeah. They do. Yeah. That's, that's like Guar life. Guar life. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be my tattoo. <laughs> Guar life. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so uh, back to Destroy <laughs> Monsters, because we're, yeah. you know, we're talking about monsters, now we should... Talk about yes. like a book about that. Um, yeah, I, I I dug it. I think in summation, I I think I'm. It's one of those ones I'm going to have to go back to. Yes, yeah. definitely. But um, it's on first read through, even like a, a really scrappy, um, disjointed read through. I was into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and maybe that's just because I've you know from a tiny town where there was a like decadent music scene that was falling into pieces and every band sucked and yeah. I, there was some truly terrible bands from my hometown and um, Wait, where are you again? <laughs> nowhere anyone has ever heard of okay <laughs> <laughs> actually there is a, a big band from my hometown they're called Coldplay what? And, um, uh, yeah I, I I went to Coldplay. <laughs> he, uh, Chris Martin from Coldplay went to the big posh boys school in my hometown. I went to the scumbag school Whoa. for scum. Easy. It's actual name. And scumbag, um, yeah. scumbag school for boys. I <laughs> know yeah. oh, they they had girls as well. They just threw know, everyone in. It sounded and, like uh, better somehow to call that scumbag school for boys. <laughs> and yeah, there was uh, there was a, a shitty music scene just like in Arcadia in Destroy Monsters. So mm-hmm. I think mean, if you grew up in like Los Angeles or New York and had like great bands around all the time. Yeah. This probably wouldn't resonate at all. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I grew up in Florida and they, they had a great scene, but it still resonated. I mean, but the point is, yeah. I, the point is, uh, Limp Bizkit. 
Florida was from, I mean, they were from this. Yeah, so was Manson, but and then there are a lot of bands before it became metalcore that came out of uh, the scene, like Poison the Well. And Oh, yeah, they were cool. I like them. Yeah, no, they're good. One of those bands that really paved the way for that style of music. Like uh, Bloodlet and, you know, Death. Bloodlet. Oh, shit, yeah. that, that, kind of, um, that kind of comes full circle because the last, the song I'm going to play to... Uh, Closer show is by a fella. Let's bring it up on. Where'd it go? Uh, is by Cam Lee, who was the drummer of Death, mm. the most important band to ever come out of Florida, the most important thing to ever happen, come from Florida, including Disney. And um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, technically that's yeah, no, that's Disney's. But um, yeah, he's. Uh, yeah, he's got a new uh, band together called uh, Nat Ravnan. I think it means Night Raven. Night Raven. And it's it's really dope. It's like a Death Doom thing. He does the uh, vocals. Another guy called Johnny P- P- uh, Peterson does all the music in it. And this track got premiered on Toilet of Hell, one of my favorite music sites, and Who's editor who's been on the show before? Hey, Joe. Great name. Yep. And it is a great name. And great. Um, yeah. So just before we close out with uh, Upon the Sound of Her Wings by Nat Ravnan, featuring the dude from Death, uh, anything you guys want to want to plug? Apart from My Pet Serial Killer, because that should be plugged because it sounds cool. Oh, thanks. Uh, I don't have anything, Deirdre. I got nothing. My pet serial killer is cool, though. And it's your your co- stuff is good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and your column in Unwillable is cool as well. Oh yeah, I love Unwillable. Yeah, yeah. Unwillable. yeah. Read, she just put out a new one on uh, on the um, Donut County. Donut County about to come out. Is it Donut County or Country? County. County. That indie game that came out recently that involves what wormholes sucking you up. You play as a as a hole in the ground. Yeah, it's great. Cool. Yeah. I've I've often felt like a hole in the ground, so that's, that'll that'll work for me. Yeah, <laughs> it's super fun. And well, you it's just celebrated so one year of the uh, of this mortal coil, yeah. Yes. Awesome. So, that's yeah. my plug. Oh, and also, am I? I don't know if I'm remembering this right. You got like a, um, what's it called? Like a, a residency at like Jack Kerouac's yeah. house or something. Uh, yes, <laughs> I am doing that next summer, 2019. Um, it's a three month residency at the house where Jack Kerouac wrote the Dharma bums. Um, so that's going to be, book? I haven't read it yet, but uh, <laughs> I, I will before I go there. <laughs> it's better than on the road. It's a lot better than on the road. Cool. It, yeah. It's his only decent book. Really? <laughs> but yeah, I'm excited. I mean, even though Florida in summer is a lot, yeah. but uh, it'll be, it'll be, it'll be cool. Cool. Okay. Um, hold on. But um, yeah, so uh, check them out. Uh, check Deirdre and Michael out as well. No, don't like check them out, but like look at their work. <laughs> you can check us out; it's cool. Yeah, well, they're good-looking people, so you know you can check them out, but do it in a respectful way by through yeah. their work. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And um, yeah, re- read uh, the Straw Monsters. Uh, do it in a more structured way than I did, and <laughs> come back next week because we're talking to uh, a very cool guy. Nate from uh, Hell of a Way to Die and Trash Future Podcasts. 
uh, about a really awesome book called Cherry. It's just come out. Uh, it came out a while ago, actually. And it's going to be made into a movie, and it's amazing. And it's about heroin and bank robberies. And it's it's. I'm a quarter of the way in, and I think it could be book of the year for me. It's really good. So, um, yeah, check that one out. And um, here's uh, Nat Ravnan. <laughs> 